Um, what we're doing, <laughs> we have literally collected, I don't know, man, um, over a hundred probably questions, more than that. Uh, over the last year, we are a, a community that is not only a podcast community, but a church community that uh, very much values and, and is built around a conviction that says uh, the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. And that means for us that um, doubts and uh, skepticism and curiosity, all of that is welcomed. Um, and, uh, and so we, we do, we take time in our services to actually, we start with Q and a, uh, most Sundays. Um, uh, and certainly the podcast is built around the questions, uh, and issues that people are talking about. So, uh, to try to catch up with this backlog of questions, we thought we'd do a little of Facebook living. So hello, hello, Facebook. Uh, we are live from the, uh, the Vox headquarters, the World International Vox Headquarters of Brea, California. It's Mike and Andy. Uh, we just recorded uh, this week's show that will be released on uh, Monday. And uh, we, what we thought we'd do is we thought we'd take a, a few questions and, uh, and see what you think. So first question, is there a way to become a cool slash wise slash urban teaching pastor like Mike Erie, Tim Mackey, John Mark Comer, who we inter just interviewed, Francis Chan, and Dave Lomas without paying thousands of dollars at a seminary school? The answer is no. The first thing <laughs> is um, to, to throw Mike Erie into that mix is a bit of a stretch. Um, and to apply cool and urban uh, to me is a bit of a stretch as well. However, I can answer for those other guys um, and, and simply say this. Um, no, Jesus has never needed people to be highly educated uh, in order to use them. I mean, the, the thing that was so shocking about the, the first disciples is that they were called by the religious leaders. These are ordinary and unschooled men. I mean, these were not, these were fishermen. These were calloused hand kind of people. They were blue collar workers. The only one that came, had any pedigree was a guy named Judas who turned out to be the traitor. Um, <laughs> the rest of them came from the Galilee, which was kind of like farm country, uh, sort of the Midwest of Israel. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the Midwest. Let me just tell you that right now. But, but you know, it, it wasn't well respected for intellectuals. Um, so, so God is always used. And in fact, Paul even says God uses the foolish things to shame the wise and so on. Now, now at the same time, uh, I don't want to suggest that seminary isn't incredibly helpful and incredibly valuable and being educated. We're all somebody's disciple. We're all somebody's apprentice. We all learn from somebody. And so who you learn from is, a, is absolutely a big deal. But if you're, if you're interested in becoming a teaching pastor, um, which, um, you know, is, is a pretty good gig. I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of think I have the greatest job in the history of the world. Um, the first thing to do is to absolutely immerse yourself in the Bible. And not just the parts you like, but the whole overarching story. Secondly, um, find some authors that really compel you and read everything they've written. And then read the bibliographies of what they've written and read those people too. <laughs> so one of those for me is a guy named N.T. Wright, who is um, uh, prolific. So read, just reading everything he's written is hard enough. But um, the world got bigger for me when... Um, I, uh, I realized uh, who he was reading. And so I started reading the books that he would footnote and, and quote from. Another guy for me is a guy named Dallas Willard, um, who is no longer with us, but the book Divine Conspiracy, one of the best books ever written. Um, another guy for me is um, 
uh, who would I say? Um, Scott McKnight um, is a theologian. Um, you know, so so you begin to build a library around some of the people that you you think are trustworthy, who represent Jesus well and scholarship well, um, and then you you work out kind of from there. Um, for me, there was a guy named Ray Vanderlaan who did a, a series of videos in the '90s. They're still out there. I think it was that the world may know, sponsored by Focus on the Family. But I was uh, in youth ministry, and so, I, and and I, I learned there that uh, that Christianity was Jewish, and and so I, I started to, you know, I, I got hooked up with a guy named Rob Bell who just planted a church in uh, Grand Rapids, Mi Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, went out to visit him, and he gave me a book list of books that he was reading because he actually was friends with Ray. And, um, and so that opened me up to the Jewish world of the New Testament uh, and the Judaism of Jesus. And so, so there are absolutely ways, uh, you know, podcasting, um, listen to, listening to good teaching, all of those sorts of things. Uh, coolness I can't help you with. Wisdom <laughs> comes from, um, from suffering uh, and, uh, and experience and age. You can't short circuit that. Um, urban is, is, I wouldn't consider Brea urban, suburban. um, we're, yeah, By we're definition. suburban, but the guys <laughs> like Francis Chan, Dave Lomas, John Mark, Tim, I mean, those guys are definitely urban, um, and have a heart for the city. And so mm -hmm. Tim Keller's written some great stuff on the, yep. the significance yep. of the city. So, so first of all, immerse yourself in the scriptures, become the kind, I love what Dallas Willard said. He decided before he never, he never chose to write a book or anything. He just said he wanted to become the kind of person that had something to say. And, uh, and the way that you do that is you do the hard work of immersing yourself in the text and the world of the text. Hmm. And there's loads of resources. Uh, I can give you my book list. Uh, so loads of resources to do that, but great question. And uh, yeah. throw some women in there too. Yeah. Um, and some uh, non-whites. Well, I mean, Chan and Lomas. Um, but, but I'd get out just a little more. I'd broaden that from, um, from, uh, West coast, just a little more, add some sisters to the mix. What are, what are a couple sisters uh, off the top of your head? Uh, off the top of my head. Um, well, it depends. It depends what kind of teaching you're looking for. There, there are loads of storytellers hmm. and, um, inspiring stories that are out there. So, you know, Carrie, mm -hmm. um, is incredible. Yeah. Um, one of our friends named Megan Fates is a great Bible teacher. Bonnie, uh, is a great Bible teacher. Carrie is too, but Carrie's a great communicator no yeah. matter what it is she's teaching. Right. Um, somebody like Beth Moore, I think is really, really profound, uh, in some spaces. I yeah. just think there, and podcasting now, man, there's so, there's so many different options. I just think you have to be consistently exposing yourself to things that are bigger than, the perspective represented by by those names. Yes. Great. So so that Perfect. that would be the other only other thing I did. All right. Second question: Are you really a follower of Jesus if you don't follow Jesus's teachings? No, you're not. Uh, end of story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus was clear. You know, if you love me, you obey my commandments. I mean, it's like, are you are you married? If you don't love your spouse, if you um, if you abuse them, if you treat them poorly, if you've never undergone like a marriage ceremony, no, you're not married. I mean, end of story. It's not magic. Yeah. If you don't follow Jesus, you're you're not a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's simple. And the, and and the real tragedy and and one we've explored on the podcast has been the giving people the illusion of a relationship with Jesus because they pray a prayer. 
uh, and then kind of go on their merry way. And that prayer has no ramifications in their real, actual life. When I got right. married, that had real ramifications in my real, actual life. That's how I know I'm married. When I had children, you know, I mean, it's the same thing with Jesus. If, if there are no real ramifications, then no, of course not. Um, of course, you're not a follower of Jesus. So, so uh, the questioner goes on to say, it, uh, if you um, if you don't live your life with love like Jesus did, are you really a follower of Jesus? No. If you're not growing in love, now again, this doesn't mean perfection at all. We talk a lot about this. We are totally people in process. If you're adopted out of the foster care system into a new family, it takes time to grow into that new identity. So absolutely, we're not talking about perfection. We're just talking about over the the long arc of your life, there is fruit. And that fruit comes not only from God's work in you, but your partnership with God's work in you. Mm -hmm. And if there is no intention, if there is no effort, if there is no attention, um, then no, there's no basis we can assure anybody that they're a follower of someone if they don't actually follow. Right. They don't so, walk. You can't follow something if you're not taking steps. Come on. <laughs> so so there you go. Um, uh, third question. And, and, and we've been talking about, uh, so the tagline for our little church community is safe to belong because we believe grace should come before truth, that Jesus extended table fellowship. This was the way he did this to... to to people before they got their act together, before they got cleaned up, before, you know, any of those sorts of things. And we think that's the posture the church should have towards people outside of itself. Right. But that raises a couple of questions that questioners here ask. Um, number one, so you say the church exists to love and serve the world, not sit in judgment of it. How should the church respond to sin within the church? In my experience, we judge not only those on the outside, but are really good about judging those inside too. Mm-hmm. Now, this introduces a distinction that uh, we made very early in the podcast between judgment and discernment. So Paul says something like, um, you know, uh, he, he's, he's writing to a church in a city called Corinth, and um, he is dealing with a, a case of like, we think it's some sort of incest. It's, it's, it's a, a man, a young man has married his stepmother or something, something along those lines. A man has his, his father's wife is how Paul says it. So that could mean any number of things. And the church was boasting about how great uh, and gracious they were that, that, that they were allowing this. Yeah. And, and Paul in First Corinthians goes off on, what the heck are you guys doing? I mean, my goodness, a little bit of yeast infects the whole batch. Um, he, he says, you know, get, you, you've got to, you've got to kick this person out of the fellowship for crying out loud, uh, in order to protect the integrity of the fellowship and the witness of the world uh, to, to the world, because even pagans don't put up with this stuff. Hmm. And then he has this great line. He says, um, who am I to judge those outside the world? I judge those inside the church. Right. Right. Or excuse me. I don't judge those outside the church. I judge those inside the church. And so the question is, okay, Christians are not only uh, notoriously judgmental towards the world, but are notoriously judgmental towards each other. So Mm -hmm. in what cases is that sort of judgment appropriate? We introduced a distinction um, that Jesus seems to introduce uh, in Matthew 7, where he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not condemn or you too will be condemned. The word he uses there is the Greek word krino which means to categorize or to separate. And the idea is that he's speaking against the kind of judgment that condemns. So he, he's using judgment and condemning in parallel. 
So uh, it, it's the kind of judgment that that observes behavior and then renders a verdict about the inside of somebody or the identity of somebody or the worth of somebody. Um, it's the kind of judgment that that leads to and brings condemnation. That is outlawed um, for Jesus followers because we believe that we are people in process. We believe that we are all image bearers, and Jesus is super clear about no, no, no. That's that's not how that works. In fact, it boomerangs on you if you're going to play that game. That game is going to be played with you. But Jesus, at the same time, in other places, talks about being wise and being shrewd and being discerning. And, and so we distinguish between judgment and discernment. Judgment is the separation of people, the categorization of people into sheep and goats, saved, unsaved, uh, forgivable, unforgivable. Discernment is the separation of things or behaviors or patterns of life right. into helpful and, and aligned with the kingdom and unhelpful or not aligned with the kingdom. Right. So, so um, when we talk about what should be practiced outside of the church, right, um, it, it, we're, we don't judge. We don't sit in judgment of the world. We're here to love and serve it. That was our whole teaching last week uh, at the church. We are, however, to sit in judgment um, of the church. Now, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Well, it means that we're to be, be uh, practicing discernment about um, how we are to live. Now, here's the big caveats to that. First of all, Paul was writing to churches that met in homes. So we're talking 20 people, 30 people tops. These were people that did life together. These were people that knew each other intimately. These were people kind of on the inside of each other's lives, what we would consider a small group, mm -hmm. right? This wasn't um, several hundred people sitting in a room making judgments uh, superficially on each other, which is what Christians can do all the time. Secondly, uh, this was this was done in the context of relationship. This was not done in the context of uh, of uh, some program or some ministry or some you know random sort of connection. This was done actually in the context of deep relationship. So so here here's kind of the thing I I'd use. I have a crew of people of which Andy is one um, who help me uh, discern manners of living that are helpful and non helpful. Um, you guys have called me on stuff. You guys have held me accountable to stuff. I've confessed stuff to you. Um, and it is no burden for me to hear from you, hey, not comfortable with this. I think this needs to be reconciled. I think mm -hmm. you need to apologize for this. Sure. Because we're in relationship. I know you're, you're, you love me and are for me. And I've invited you into that, into that sort of thing. And right. it's mutual. Right. And it's a small group. We're not doing it in front of hundreds of people. Right. So in those cases, absolutely discernment uh, has to be practiced in the church. We all have to be open. If you're a disciple of Jesus, we all have to be open to correction from other people because we all have blind spots. We all have dark spots. We all have issues that we're, that we're just waking up to. Absolutely, that has to be practiced. But even when it is... Man, the list of instructions that go with how you practice it are things like this. Jesus says, take care of the plank in your own eye before you deal with the speck in another brother, mm -hmm. another brother's eye. And he's talking about how you see your sin as infinitely bigger than the sin you're trying to correct in somebody else. Yeah. So that means you correct humbly, Yeah. right? I mean, that's huge. That's why I say I'm the biggest sinner in the room. My sin is a plank in my eye compared to the specks of dust and everyone else. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Paul says, restore somebody gently. 
Um, that means it's kindness. And the goal of any conversation we're having about discerning together is restoration and flourishing. It's not punishment. It's not retribu uh, ret retributive. <laughs> retributive. <laughs> it's not, it's not just harsh. Retribution, I think. Yes. Um, it, it, hello, Facebook Live. <laughs> uh, it, 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 is, it is to be done out of kindness. Um, Jesus even says, listen, if somebody doesn't listen to you, go, go to them first. Give them every opportunity. If, if they don't listen to you, bring somebody else as a part of that. And then when he says, tell the whole church community, okay, so that's 20 people, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so because so, there was a practice in the ancient Near East that was social ostracism where um, you could shame somebody into the right behavior by excluding them from the community. Now, that doesn't work today in the mm. same way because we're not an honor shame society and you can just go down to another church and no one's going to know what you did and no one's going to know. So you have to want this for it to be truly effective and helpful in the church. Right. Make sense? Yep. Got it. Man, long answer. Yeah. Great question. Don't yeah. look at me like that. That's a long. It was a long answer. Oh, well, it's a big but question. It's a big question. All right. Last one. Do we have time for one more? Yeah. All right. What would you say to Christian people who use Second Corinthians 6 as a reason for excluding non-Christian friends and the world? And now that passage, Second Corinthians 6, is about, uh, very famously, Paul says, do not be yoked together, Christians, with non-Christians. So he uses mm -hmm. believer and non-believer. Um, what do believers have in common with non-believers? You know, you should avoid them, come out from them, be separate from them, is Paul's argument. And, uh, and so this questioner is saying, okay, so how, how do you respond to people who say, well, look at what Paul says uh, about that, right? So we right. should totally be totally separate from non-Christians. Uh, and then, and then um, what is your take? So the questioner keeps going, what is your take on this section of the Bible, especially in light of the whole safe to belong idea this church is founded on? Mm -hmm. All right, so Paul, first of all, that, that verse is pulled and yanked way, way, way out of context. Uh, because Paul, in his first letter, he, um, he talks about another letter he'd written to them. And he says, um, I wrote to you in my previous letter. It's a letter we don't have. Okay. So, so what we call 1 Corinthians was actually this, at least the second letter he'd written to the community. Okay. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world, who are immoral, in this case, you would have to leave the world. <laughs> he says, but I'm writing you that you must not, not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, slanderer, drunkard, swindler, whatever. Hmm. So, the, so the idea, so, so Paul in no way, shape, or form is saying don't associate with the world. He says, he says absolutely you're going to associate with the world. The idea of being unequally yoked doesn't have to do with marriage. It doesn't have to do with business. It doesn't have to do with friendship. It has to do with idolatry. That section of Paul's letter is a, is a defense of his apostleship. Um, it, is, it is coming against some super apostles who are infecting the community. Um, and it's also warnings about idolatry. And so when he talks about being yoked together, he's talking about in worship. Um, he's not just talking about now. Now, can that can that idea of being yoked like um, be applied in business and, and in marriage and those sorts of things? Sure. But that's not what that's he's what talking, talking about, about here. He's talking about the kind of yoking that causes you to lose your faith, that causes you to be corrupted. I mean, and, and I rarely meet people now. Well, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say it this way. Um, 
uh, I very often meet people who are, are in the middle of crazy, crazy stuff, and they're just hugely sincere followers of Jesus. And it's because they're around crazy stuff that their following of Jesus is so authentic and real and beautiful. Um, and then I meet people who are just ensconced in these Christian subcultures who are nothing like Jesus at all. Right. And sure. so, and, and and so there is not one bit of biblical um, admonition to avoid non-Christian people, to not befriend them, to not do business with them. No, 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 no. The issue is always what happens to your heart. And so in this case, I would respond to those people by saying you've yanked that passage way out of context to justify a judgment of the world that is simply not reflective of the heart of God. Hmm. Boom. All right. So there you go. Very good. Facebook Live. Yeah, thanks guys for hanging out with us. Yep, we, uh, we appreciate it. Hope it's helpful.